You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. in the middle. Wasn't good. I mean, I, I, it was was really bad. Oh, I see by the big board. We got a negative Nelly in sector two. Where do you feel sore? Everywhere. Where's the most? My leg, my back, my neck. Pollard breaks back to the inside, reaches for the end zone, and he's in. And I wish we would have finished the game a lot better. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them on the internet at everythingfinancial.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. This is the busiest show in the history of radio. At the very least, in the history of the Halford and Bruff show. Sportsnet division. No, we really have a lot to get into today. I'm just going to run through it all real quick. 6.30, Brady Henderson, ESPN, NFL Nation is going to join us. Seahawks, great offensive performance last night in Dallas. Couldn't get it done. They fall to 6-6. Six and six. Brady Henderson's going to join us to talk about that. 7 o'clock, AJ from AJ's Pizza on East Broadway is going to join us. It's the first of our new Ask Us Anything initiative. It's not just Ask Us Anything Friday anymore. It's Ask Us Anything with a twist, a pizza twist. If you put a, we've, got, we've got the best pizza in Vancouver to sponsor us. They are and giving that's pretty away, cool. They are giving away one hundred dollar gift card for pizza to the best Ask Us Anything submission today. And honestly, go use that hundred dollar gift card just by yourself. Don't take anyone. Just go down there and eat by yourself. In just this, enjoy all the pizza. Yeah. Keep it to yourself. In this season of giving and sharing, yeah, keep it. Hog it. Take yeah. the $100 and just don't share. Giving and sharing is incredibly overrated. So a $100. Totally. Remember people, you know, people say like, you know, like giving is better than receiving. Like, what are you really talking, talking about? about? <laughs> we are going to give away a gift card. It's a $100 gift card to AJ's. Send an Ask Us Anything into 650-650. Put a pizza emoji. Yes, a pizza emoji into your text. You'll be entered into the contest for a $100 gift card to AJ's Pizza on East Broadway. That's at 7 o'clock. 7.15. NFL Locks of the Week, 7.30, Bob Marjanovich, 8 o'clock, Rick Dollywall, 8.15, we're going to announce the winner of the Ask Us Anything giveaway. We're also giving away tickets to the Canucks and Devils. Tuesday, December 5th, Rogers Arena. Now, for those, that's a What We Learn contest. Hashtag it WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. Put a ticket emoji, a ticket emoji into the text. You'll be entered into the contest to win tickets to see the Canucks and Devils Tuesday, December 5th at Rogers Arena. We're not done yet. At 8.30 on the show today, former coach of Canada's women's national team, Canada's men's national team, and now the gaffer at TFC, John Herdman, is going to join us. 
He's going to join us ahead of the first of two. I'm just calling him the Christine Sinclair matches. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all they need to be known one as. One in Victoria, one at BC Place. So that is going on at 8.30 today. Did you get? Do you remember everything now? Because no. I'm going to quiz you at the end. No, you're in charge of this. Okay. That is the show. I'm not even going to run it back the other way because it'll take too long. So without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them on the internet at bccsa.ca. It was Laddie's favorite hockey player, Jack Eichel, with a goal and two assists in a celebration of Eichel, his 500th NHL game. Vegas ends a three-game losing streak by taking care of business. TCOB 4-1 against the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena on Thursday. Not to focus on Vegas too much, but I will say this. In the aftermath, uh, head coach Bruce Cassidy went to the microphones, the assembled media, and said, I thought that was our best game of the season. And Laddie loved it because Jack Eichel had such a strong game. And Laddie, Laddie, you're wearing your Jack Eichel jersey today. Uh, Huge Eichel fan. Definitely not. Uh, The Eichel line uh, absolutely dominated the Canucks early on. And the Canucks, frankly, uh, they weren't ready to play. I know that's a total cliche, but for whatever reason, uh, they came out and their legs were not working. And JT Miller um, said, that's on me when it came to shutting down the Eichel line and the first two goals that Vegas scored really, really, um, really, really last season-ish coverage. Sort of standing around. On the goal. Not really doing anything. The first goal, there's a lot of standing around and it actually reminded me of a goal that the Oilers gave up a little while ago, right before they got hot. Uh, they, they, remember when they played in Carolina and they got absolutely blown away by the Hurricanes? And <laughs> nah. <laughs> you like that? Nah. Yeah, nice. Didn't even mean to do that. I didn't even mean to do that. Um, and there was one goal, I think it was like the fifth goal Carolina scored, where they were all just like standing around. That looked like the first one. And the second goal, uh, JT Miller, not hard enough on the puck along the sideboards, turns it over and... The Golden Knights go the other way on a rush, and if you got if you want to go back and watch a little thing on maybe why Rick Tockett sometimes has issues with players like Nils Hoaglander, mm-hmm. watch how slow Nils Hoaglander is to react to the turnover of the puck and get back into the play. Okay. Just go, just a, it's a little sure. tidbit. Go, go watch, go watch the play, and go watch how slowly he button hooks. After the puck turns over and gets back to help out, and uh, long story short, he wasn't able to get back and help out. Yeah, so the right, right, and it was mm-hmm. just those sorts of things. And I know Rick Tockett was talking uh, after the game, like his first thoughts on the game were, "There's a reason Vegas is the Stanley Cup champs, and they are hard on pucks." And there are times sometimes when your Vancouver Canucks are not hard enough on pucks. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why they went out and made this trade for a big boy in Nikita Zadorov. Yeah. So a few takeaways there. One, um, Vegas was better. Vegas might just ultimately be better. I know a lot of the postgame analysis. Might. 
You know what? I'm trying to be optimistic here, Andy. We got a big show. We're you know giving what? away. There's a chance that the uh, defending Stanley Cup champs are better than your Vancouver Canucks, but just a chance. I was shocked. Man. Maybe, just maybe. I'm couching that with the maybe. That was that a disappointing was... performance, though. Like yeah, overall, but... it was a disappointing performance. When you set it, no, no, no. Yeah, buts. Yeah, when, I can have they, a but. when they set it up as. Um, you know, Rick Taka was saying, like, I'm excited. Before the game, he was saying, I'm excited for this game. It's a test. You know, mm-hmm. we're at the top of the division. Uh, and then there is a, based on that game, uh, there is a pretty clear divide between Vegas and Vancouver. The only reason I was throwing in a but, but, is, and I'll start my sentence again before I was so rudely interrupted in the middle of it. Um <laughs> Look, they got outplayed. They were the second best team on the ice. And in the aftermath, a lot of people were talking about just how suffocating it was and how Vegas did all the little staples that I think Rick Tockett wants to eventually implement into Vancouver's game. You know, hard sticks, all the sort of weird double entendres that mean that you're playing Rick Tockett hockey, right? <laughs> so they do that. Hard shafts. Yeah. You know, all the different weird... You need the hard shafts. It's important. Yeah, yeah. right? And... Then I was like, okay. Our sticks are too floppy out there. See, that was another one. He hadn't actually used that one. (laughs) Floppy sticks. But (laughs) it's not good to have a floppy stick. I think we can all agree with that. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Of course we're I'm waiting. I'm kind of hanging in the the way, and I'm like, okay, let's let's hear what Talkett has to say, because I'm kind of thinking we're going to get another classic Rick Talkett. Like, that wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. He'll call them soft in some way. Again, maybe a double entendre there. And then I noticed Satin Bick pointed this out on the postgame show as well. Wasn't as nearly critical of the play of the team of what transpired over the previous three periods than I thought he would be. He didn't call anyone out in particular. He wasn't happy with the play. Like, let's get that out there. He obviously, as you were saying, like this was a measuring stick game. They were excited to play it. But I think there was an acknowledgement that maybe the team is kind of – not fragile right now, but the hang- the season's kind of hanging in that really mushy middle where they're playing 500 hockey right now, mm. right? They're mixing in wins and losses. And I will say this, and you mentioned Zadorov, and we should probably just get right into that because I think that was a bigger takeaway yesterday than the Vegas game. He openly acknowledged that they need him right now. Like, I think he knows that they can't keep going along with a blue line is currently constructed and expect to play really good hockey. It's just not possible. Well, Patrick Alvin acknowledged it. After the Bovillier trade, because he probably knew that he was he had the Zadorov trade in the can, mm-hmm. and he and he said like, could we use a little help on defense? Yeah, I think we could. Right. So I mean, I, I mean, I, we can pull some of the audio from Tockett, but when the Zadorov trade went down, not long after, I don't think it was a surprising that the head coach was like, we are playing too many guys, too many minutes, and it's starting to show. Mm-hmm. And that was one of his takeaways from the post post game presser well, it's, yesterday. It, it's you're playing your top guys too many minutes, and uh, you know it was Hughes and Hironik out there for. The first goal, I believe, and then you're playing guys, frankly, uh, minutes in the NHL and guys that maybe shouldn't even be in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And then you're playing, you know, a player like Tyler Myers, who we all know because we got to see it a little bit earlier in the season. When he plays third pairing minutes, he's he's fine. Mm-hmm. When he plays 21 minutes a night, he's not fine, and the team is not fine. So I don't want to brush over last night's game because, you know, it was an important one in terms of measuring stick, yardstick, et cetera. But I do want to jump into the Nikita Zadorov trade, which was the big news from yesterday. And again, I want to point this out. There have been eight trades in the National Hockey League involving NHL players since training camp broke. 
And the <laughs> the Vancouver Canucks have made five of them. They represent roughly 55 to 60% of all the transactions that have gone on in the NHL this year. So it's Zadorov to the Canucks in exchange for a fifth-round pick in 2024 and a third-round pick in 2026. I didn't even realize you could trade picks that far in advance, so good on the Canucks for doing that. And, Laddie, I, I know you're retching in pain over there, but can you grab <laughs> – I didn't know what you were doing. It just looked like you Reaching were doubled over. over. Mm-hmm. Um, can you grab the Rick Talkett audio? I know on- you're suffering a hernia back there <laughs> yeah. but you were you were hunched over at your desk there's a bag I, on the floor oh, i was leaning okay. over into the bag it, yeah i thought you were just rolling around going i <laughs> my groin i didn't know what was going on anyway grab the zadorov audio please uh, i've had it ready for about perfect. five minutes because you know this to me was a very good move from the vancouver canucks perspective in terms of how little capital they had to pay to get him in the door it's insane i couldn't believe when i saw that like, that's and, all it cost them yeah and i'm not the really, flames were probably just like oh my god fine well i think it well, may- what do you think leafs fans were like is that yeah. it yeah. yeah i mean the timing is everything I, oh it, yeah alvin fleeced him if he you, took total advantage he took advantage of a really good situation yeah. that and really good is not a fair way to put it with chicago because really bad things happen to chicago but who cares are we gonna get to some audio soon yeah i just want to lay out what we're going to talk about here i want to make sure he had it so zadorov no. comes aboard for a relatively low price and this is a team that really really needed defensive reinforcements here's rick Tockett on zadorov now uh, we're really excited he's a big guy he can skate he can shoot um, and, you know, he uh, talked to him today, uh, uh, you know, a couple hours before the game, an hour before the game. Really excited to come here. Um, I think in, in our environment, it can really help him. You know, he's in it was the last year of his deal. I mean, this is, you know, I'm sure he's going to be fired up to play. Um, and we need, we need minutes. We're, you know, we're playing some other guys too much, and you can tell it's starting to wear on our defense. So he's a much needed guy. It's a great trade for us. How could it change the complexion of your blue line? Getting him in here, potentially getting Susie back healthy. You've got Myers, who's a big defenseman as well, having that size back there. Well, long, you know, disruptive, sticks in the lanes, uh, uh, cycle busters. You know, like uh, get in the cycle, you know, and knock some people down. And I'll be honest, net front too. I mean, you know, much needed clear the front of the net type of guy. You know, he'll take sticks, he'll take bodies out of there, um, and that's going to help our team. Is he a guy you've had your your own sort of coaching eye on for a while? Whether it's going back <clears throat> yeah, he's always intrigued me. Like I've never, you know, I've never wherever I've been saying, hey, like try to trade. I I just like the the big defenseman, like who can skate. What do you have? Fourteen? Is he had fourteen goals last year? I think so. Um, he's got a he's got a great shot too. Um, he just fits the model that we want to have here, and um, you know that long guy that can skate, and um, and and like I said, he's really excited to come, which is nice. Uh, okay. What? Was uh, that? what? <laughs> As yeah, I've, Rick. There's got to be a better way to say that. Anyway, uh, it looks like Zadorov's going to make his debut on Saturday against, of all the teams, his former team, the Calgary Flames. So I got a bunch of. Do you questions. think he'll fight? Yeah, that's like 100. percent Right. Yeah. The question is who. Right. Right. I mean, who do you take on? Nazem Kadri seemed upset that he left. I guess they were buddies. It's always fun to fight your buddies. I mean, mm-hmm. he absolutely annihilates guys with hits. Like, that's probably the most fun part about his game. So I'll be really curious to see, like, who he goes after, who he, if he targets anyone against his former team. So big picture question, Bruff. Where does this leave the Vancouver Canucks defense? Uh, bigger and tougher and deeper. Longer. Um, longer. Likes long. Uh, harder sticks. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where 
Zadora fits. Uh, not that I'm super worried about it, um, but the Canucks now have Hughes, Zadora, Cole, and Susie as left shots with Hronik and Myers shooting right. Those are probably, can we all agree, those are probably the, the best six defensemen, although some may argue about Myers. Yeah, um, regardless of handedness and everything yeah, else, yeah. that's your best six. Uh, for now, it's no big deal because Susie is going to be out for a while longer. Um, you could go, for example, just an example, Hughes with Juleson, Cole with Hronik, Zadorov and Myers and maintain a, a righty-lefty balance if your main goal is to maintain that righty-lefty balance. Just an example, I wouldn't necessarily do that. There's no sense really arguing about it. Now, um, the Canucks still reportedly have interest in Ethan Bear, and we'll talk to Dolly Wall about that. So that's another situation to monitor. Um, now, it, it, some people might be like, ah, Ethan Bear, I, I don't know about, like, look, beggars can't be choosers. That's and true. at this point, most NHL defensemen, when it comes to most NHL teams, when it comes to right shot defensemen, are the beggars that can't be choosers. So it's more, it's more like, would you rather have Quinn Hughes with, um, let's say you want to spread Hironic down the lineup, would you rather have Quinn Hughes with Noah Juleson or would you rather have Quinn Hughes with Ethan Bear? Yeah, right. Like that. that yeah. So, and and some people might take a different approach, but I think most people, I think the consensus would probably be uh, Ethan Bear. The Cubs um, would have to make a trade to get him. Of course, that is kind of a, a wrinkle in this. To what Ethan Bear? Yeah. No, now, they got the space. They, they they got the space. They still got some space. Um, the LTIR. Yeah, they, they, there there's still space to get Ethan Bear done. Um, will I? Here's a big question: Will Tyler Myers be a Canuck for the rest of the season? Because if the Canucks, if the Canucks could dump his entire cap it, and don't forget his actual salary, because his bonus is already being paid out, is low. So I guess it's possible that for maybe a pretty low sweetener, you could dump him to a team like I don't know Chicago or something. Go go to Chicago again. Um, I'm just saying it's a possibility for later on down the road that mm-hmm. would open some pretty serious cap space to address some of the deficiencies up front. But then you lose Tyler Myers, and maybe Tyler Myers is the guy that the Canucks ultimately decide they want to keep. Um, I like the addition of Zadorov. I like the way that uh, Patrick Alvin was able to do all of this. Um, he knew he had an issue on defense. Uh, he knew it was going to be a challenge to get a guy like Zadorov just because of the cap space issues. And it does sound like... It was the Canucks' ability to absorb the entire Zadorov cap hit that got this deal done. Mm-hmm. And they were able to take advantage of a Chicago situation that involved Taylor Hall and Corey Perry. And they unload Beauvillier, who wasn't being u- utilized to the fullest of his ability, to a Chicago team that was able to take his entire cap hit and even give a fifth-round pick back. They used that fifth-round pick to get Zadorov. And if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, you're sitting there going, really? Like, Calgary wasn't willing to retain on Zadorov? Well, here's the thing with Calgary. You're only allowed to retain on three salaries, They can't right? retain on everybody. You can't. But now, I know they haven't retained on anyone, but is there a possibility that they're going to retain on Lindholm? Is yes. there a possibility that they're going to retain on Tanev? Yes. Is there a possibility that they're going to retain on Noah Hannafin, yeah. right? Yeah. Like they, and, and those might be bigger returns down the road for Calgary. So I think they wanted to keep that in their back pocket. And they found a team in Vancouver that could take the entire Zadorov cap hit. And they went, okay, fine. It's probably not the best return, but we're going to take it because we've got bigger deals to do probably down the line. And also 
we don't want Zadorov on this team anymore, really, because he's requested a trade, and it's just awkward when and you've got a guy on a team that's requested a trade. Get you know, get, get rid of him. And it's because of that dynamic that I kind of I was thinking about like what's a what's my take going to be on this? And it's great that you covered the sort of on ice thing and where Zadorov's going to play in the fit for me. Um, this is the another in a series of moves that instills further faith in what the front office and the organization is doing right now. It it does. It gives me a ton of faith that, and here's the kicker, they seem to know what they're doing. They seem to know and have a vision about what they want to be, and that is whatever the head coach wants, and then they're able to execute and find pieces that fit that really well. One of the biggest criticisms of the previous regime, for me anyway, was they were always bringing in parts that either you're looking at and you're like, why did you prioritize this guy, or how does this guy fit, or how does this fit the identity and style that you want to play? Right. You can explain it away, which is great, which is kind of like when they explained what Beagle and Roussel, for example, were supposed to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. But it never worked in practice. It never actually manifested itself on the ice. You never saw it. And then I remember, like, for example, the day one free agency targeting of Tim Schaller. And I remember watching him play. And I'm like, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> what, who is he? How does he fit? What does he bring to the table that your pro scouts were like, we must go get this guy? This group. And, you know, they, again, it wasn't rocket science, but they correctly identified some flaws with this team. The penalty kill stinks. How are we going to fix it? We're going to go out and find personality that via trades or free agency to address it. Psst, Our psst. It's, it's, it's still pretty bad. What? <laughs> the PK. Right. But they, you understand what I'm talking it's about, better. right? No, yeah. it's better. It's improved. Um, the defense. We aren't good enough, we aren't big enough, and we don't have the physical kind of defenseman that Rick Tocca wants to deploy. So they bring in Susie, and now they bring in, uh, sorry, Susie Cole, and now Zadorov. And mm -hmm. you could hear Tocca in that clip speaking about how excited he is to have a big thumping defenseman in the lineup. And we talked. You know about what's kind of interesting though is like um, people are like they've rebuilt rebuilt the defense. And you're like, yeah, temporarily, yeah, because Zadorov's a, a pending UFA, Ian Cole's a pending UFA. Um, you they know, haven't rebuilt it. Let's put it that way. The, like I, one of the questions that I, that I have is like, is the intention to bring in Zadorov and re-sign him? Can they afford to do that? Well, I hope they re-sign Ian Cole too. He's been awesome. Yeah, right. I'd be really annoyed if they let him go. Well, I mean, but they, it might, they might be one not of those, be able to afford it all. Well, and hey, part of this might be well, is like the you, if you can't afford him, you're yeah. gonna you're yeah. gonna have to go out and keep. But Horonic's gonna get a big bump, yeah. and Petey. And by the way, we should probably talk a little bit about Petey. I know we're running out of time. We haven't even mentioned the Seahawks game. Um, well, that's that that's okay. We'll do that next. Um, Pedersen, quiet night. You know, and the Canucks juggled their lines eventually in a pretty major way. And Kuzmenko ended up on a line with JT Miller and Brock Besser. And Kuzmenko, I think it took him about two shifts on that line to score. Mm -hmm. uh, Miller fed him with a nice pass on a two-on-one. And after the game, Miller didn't even want to talk about that goal because he's like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, we were down significantly. Obviously, Vegas is going to let their foot off the gas a little bit. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything when you score to make it 4-1. Um, but... The Pedersen line right now, it's it, it's it's just quiet. Very. It's not working. I know I know people will say, you know, if you want to point your finger at anyone, point it at the Miller line because they were the ones that lost the big matchup against the Eichel line, and those were the two goals that went in in the first period. And I agree with that. Like, and Miller said afterwards, like that's on me. We we weren't good enough. But right now, um, I have concerns about the top six, 
and I didn't have them earlier in the season. I was like, these guys are rolling, mm-hmm. right? Like, but right now it's 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 not working. And it, we, I know we spend so much time focusing on the defense, and that's because they're making moves to try and fix it. And of course, we're going to focus on the defense. It was a glaring weakness, but right now something is off in the top six, and the Canucks are not going to beat these elite teams. They are right. not going to beat these elite teams unless both those lines are going, right? Jack Eichel's line dominated the Miller line, and then Petey's line did nothing. Yep. No, that's a very fair assessment. You know, Sat and um, Dan Riccio were on the broadcast yesterday, and they were talking about that at the second intermission, essentially saying, like, right now, uh, if you look at, you want to split the forward group into two, you're actually pretty okay with how the bottom six is playing, and now you're starting to wonder about mm-hmm. what the top six is doing and why they aren't scoring. Goals have been hard to come by over the last two games. Like, if, you, if, you, if the Canucks need a goal right now, I'm like, get Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland yeah, out there. Lafferty, right? like, you're up. That's the yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we got a lot more to get into on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Jason mentioned, we have not even spoken about a Seahawks game last night. I think that was our most entertaining game. And I know they played a lot of close games this year, but I think last night, the fifth game in NHL, or NHL, NFL history to not feature a single punt. 41 to 35, Seahawks lose it though. Is that, is that only only five they've had without a single punt? And it was really? I think it was the first I'm ever with that. by that. The first ever with that many penalties. Because <laughs> I don't know if you saw how many penalties there were last night. There was a lot of them. You're listening to the best You're of listening Alfred to and the Bruff. best of Alfred and Bruff. Rick Dollywall. Rick Dollywall. It's time for Rick Dollywall. Rick Dollywall. It's time for Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Dolly. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Dolly. Rick Dolly Wall. It's time for Rick Dolly Wall. Rick Dolly Wall. 802 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Rick Dollywell is going to join us in just a sec here to kick off Hour 3. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell & Pound, real estate appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the interweb at campbell-pound.com today. Oh, this is my Kintec read. I'm getting all confused. Uh, why don't you do, just do something else right now? Let's just go to the phone line, shall we? On the no, we're coming to you live from the Kintech Studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. That's why we're the best show in the business, folks. Right we're there. not the best show. You make a mistake, you pick yourself up. You did it perfectly. A little fast. I thought it was 8.30. It's not 8.30. It's 8.03. Joining us now, Rick Dollywell here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Rick? Brock, that may have been the fastest read mm-hmm. I've ever heard in my life. Wow. I know. I took a lot of speed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's quite apparent on our show as well. Um, the Canucks needed some speed last night against the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, what did you think of that performance? Pretty flat for performance, no? Yeah, for sure. And, and Vegas kind of showed you why they won the Stanley Cup last year. Their best players were way better than Vancouver's best players. I, I, I look at that Barbashev goal and I say to myself, okay, hold it a second here. You got Miller's line. You got your top uh, defensive pair. They're all watching. 
you know, it's in front of the net. You got to protect your net. And they're all standing around and just Barbashev just, oh, give me the puck and I'll just uh, the slide it past Demko. Yeah, and the Canucks didn't create much offensively last night. The Vegas smothered them. You don't get a ton of chances against that Golden Knights team. And, and you're outshot at home, 44-22. Only six shots in the third, and you're down by three. You give up a goal 15 seconds into the third. Um, the power play guys, uh, 0 for 3, all the, th- uh, the opportunities in the first 40 minutes. Um, no shot attempts by Elish Patterson. I, I know he's probably a hot topic on um, your show as, as, as well as ours, but no shot attempts. I think there was a game... Uh, one or two weeks ago where he had, I, I think, 10 um, shot attempts. So that, that's uh, got to be concerning when a player of that ilk uh, gets no shot attempts. Uh, the positive, Well, the other one, uh, giveaways, you don't talk it. Puck management, Vancouver 11 last night, Vegas 5, and talk it's huge on puck management. You, you can't have that many giveaways against a team that's trying to win the cup back-to-back. Yeah, the second goal was bad puck management. JT Miller a little soft along the boards, and then yeah. Hoglander not tracking back uh, very well, and then just confusion in the Canucks' end, and Vegas is passing it around perfectly and end up having a cross-seam yep. one-timer for a goal. Um, what's your biggest concern with this team right now? Well, just consistency, and and in the last two weeks, uh, I'm not seeing 60 minutes. You're seeing. Remember the game in Seattle, third period, they turned it on. Um, then the other night, third period, you know, and, and they won the game. It, it's it's consistency. Elvin talked about it the other day when he was talking about we want to be good every night, not every second, third, fourth night. And it's just that nailing down, you know, shift after shift, period after period. I'm not, I'm not seeing the consistency, and that's a concern. You know, and, and, and just one period, playing good one period at the NHL level is just not going to cut it to, to win many games. And, you know, and I look now, Calgary's in town on Saturday. Maybe three weeks ago, you would have looked at the schedule and said, hey, this is an easy two points. I don't think so. Uh, the Flames are 5-1-2 and two in their, their past eight. They were 8-4-2 in November. They've beaten Dallas twice in the past week. They've beaten Vegas in the past week. I don't know, you know what the heck's going on in Calgary, but they're playing a whole lot better. And, you, you know, I, I, you could have looked at the schedule a while back and said, hey, that's an easy two points. I don't think it's an easy two points tomorrow night. They're going to have to – it's that consistency, uh, Jason. They need to bring it every period, every shift. Uh, Rick, I know you're going to talk to Dan Milstein coming up next, and we actually got to cut this interview a little bit short so you can go do yeah. that. Um, when the Canucks acquired Nikita Zadorov, yeah. um, were they thinking this is just a rental that we can't pass up on, the price isn't very high, we need some help on the back end, or is this a guy that you think they've been targeting for a while for a re-signing? Oh, long time they've targeted this guy. He's been, I, I've said... Uh, for a while in this market he was their number one target but this trade doesn't happen unless the Canucks move Anthony Beauvillier out that cap space enabled them to go after a player they've coveted a long time the other biggest factor was that Calgary did not have to retain money in the deal that was a big one mm-hmm. remember everyone said they don't want to trade in the division they don't want to trade in the division but the Canucks had the cap space to say to Calgary you don't have to retain that was huge and the Maple Leafs were after him as well because tree living 
uh, loves uh, Zadorov as well, uh, but they needed uh, Calgary to retain. Vancouver didn't need Calgary to retain, and that's why it happened so quickly. Why do you think Calgary was so hesitant to retain? Was it them just trying to save actual money, or was it that they might need those retention spots later in the season? Oh, they need it late. Everyone's look. Everyone's always looking ahead to July first and after the season, the trade deadline, all that stuff. That was a major play last night when I talked to people. Uh, okay, well, why Vancouver? Well, they didn't want to send them to Vancouver, but as soon as the Canucks had the money uh, from the Bavilia trade to say, hey, we don't have to retain. You guys don't have to retain. Boom, it was done. So look, every team likes uh, to not retain money. Look at um, look at Garland and Besser in the last year when they were trying to move them, and teams said you got to retain. The Canucks didn't want to retain. No one wants to dead money on the books. So that was a big factor in it. The other big factor, guys, was Rick Tockett's fingerprints all over this. He loves the size, loves the skating, he loves the hits. Now players will think twice about crossing that Vancouver blue line in the middle. This guy loves to hit. He catches a lot of guys in open ice. His care meter is high. Now all of a sudden the Canucks have three guys over six feet, five inches tall. Zadorov, Susie, and Myers. You look at their left side now, Hughes, Coles, Zadorov, and, and when Susie comes back, that's pretty good. If they, Okay, we'll get into Ethan Bear in a minute, but if they don't land a right shot D, they can always move Cole over to the right side. He did do that mm-hmm. in Carolina. So they, they do now have options. I was told a couple of days ago the first trade for a defenseman was going to be a left shot, but now they're going to concentrate. Uh, the other uh, big thing in this, guys, was that Vancouver was high on Zadorov's list of destinations. Last week, the Canucks made, made an offer. They kept it going. No uh, contract extension came with this trade, but I was told there was a possibility of a sign and turn trade. I'll be very, very, very surprised if the Canucks don't extend uh, Zadorov at some point before July 1st. Uh, I, I certainly think it's on the menu. So real quick, um, Ethan Bear, is this their next? Is this their next move, or could something else come up? Yeah. Okay. Can, can, do you mind if I talk about Chris Tanner for one second? Sure. Uh, yeah. Before go for we it. get to Ethan Bear. Well, we got Lots two of... minutes because you got to get to Dan Milstein. No, no. What are you talking about? My clock says eight oh eight. I got four minutes. Give me time. I got time. I got time. Uh, is your clock eight oh eight or eight oh nine? Where's like your eight, clock? I don't know. It's like eight <laughs> fourteen. No, it's not eight four. I got our clock is different than your guys' clock. We got are we in different? Times? All right, stop anyway. wasting time no, about the clock. Talk about Tanev. Forget about the clock. Chris Tanev. Lots of teams after Tanev. It's a pretty hot market for him. But you guys know deep down, Tanev thought it could have been him and not Zadorov traded to Vancouver. Tanev still loves the city. He's got very good friends here. Never wanted to leave. But the Tanev price to for. Higher and his salary is higher too. He's at four five. Canucks could revisit him in July first if they have the cap space. But I'm just telling you that deep down, you know that mm-hmm. you know Tanev was probably thinking, "Hey, it could be me to Vancouver." But he, he looks like he'll probably else end up elsewhere. Okay, listen, uh, Ethan Bear, the Canucks are still uh, in on him. They. Uh, uh, the biggest uh, the deal here is to relieve the top pair from the high minutes they're playing. Zadorov's going to help, but they need one more guy. That's Bear. Uh, he won't sign for another two, three weeks yet. That deal for me, if I had to guess, one year around one million prorated, is kind of what people think. Uh, the Canucks can clear out more cap space, or you can send Juleson down. Uh, there's fun, there's ways to get uh, Bear on the books. Uh, Bear's got five, six teams after him right now. I know the Canucks obviously will be in it, but I've heard some other teams are hot and heavy after Bear as well. Uh, 
Um, if you don't get Bear, like I said, you can always move Cole to the right side. But uh, mm-hmm. Ethan Bear, they are still in on for sure. Um, since you got all the time in the world, we were talking a little bit about Tyler Myers. Do you think he finishes the season with the Canucks? Because that is some cap space that yeah. they could use. Yeah, big time. Well, okay, so let, let's see if they can land Ethan Bear. I'm not saying they're going to land Ethan Bear. I think they'll be in there, uh, but there are other teams that are pretty hot and heavy after him too. So um, if you get Bear, yeah, that you you can now you you can now move tires. Uh, sorry, Tyler Myers at the at the trade deadline. But look, the thing with Myers, whether you move him in season or out season, maybe they're doing well and they want him in the lineup. I just told you now their blue line's much much bigger. Uh, you can make the decision on Tyler Myers after the season. You don't really have to make it in the season. And if they think they uh, he can help them and and be harder to play against, so obviously with three defensemen that are pretty huge. Uh, but that 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 money's coming off the books anyways. You play with that six million on july 1st you don't necessarily have to play with it in season but that what they do with him will be certainly interesting for sure rick i know you gotta go thanks for doing this bud we appreciate it all right bye bye uh rick dollywall cox reporter from the donnie and dolly show on check tv Joining us now, very happy to have him on the program, uh, former manager of the Canadian men's national team, former manager of the Canadian women's national team, and now currently with TFC. We've had him on the program before. Very happy to have him back. John Herdman now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, John. How are you? Yeah, doing fine, doing fine. How are you guys? Uh, we are well. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, when we got wind that these retirement matches for Christine Sinclair were going to happen, we wanted to get you on the show because you spent a long time coaching Christine, and there were some very, very important and famous moments that the two of you uh, went through together as coach and one of the stars of the Canadian women's national team. So uh, I kind of want to do this chronologically, if you don't mind. We'll go all the way back to 2011 when you take over as the manager of the women's team. So at this point, Christine Sinclair is already a veteran of the team because she debuted at 16, so she had been on the with the program for 11 years already. So when you come aboard, what were some of your memories upon meeting her and then watching her play for the first time? I think when you look at, at the time with Christine, the big draw to come into Canada was to work with a player of that, of that caliber. And when I talk about that caliber, I'm talking in the women's game one of the top three players at the time, and that was back in 2011. So, you know, when I was in New Zealand, I got to see Christine firsthand in my first home game. It was the first home game New Zealand had played against a, a team in something like 20 years. We brought the Canadian team to give us a real test. And Christine had scored a hat-trick with inside 20 minutes. We had 6,000 Kiwis watching the great Christine Sinclair. And in that moment, you recognize there are levels in this game. But I think in that moment, you were clear that what an opportunity would be to work with someone of, of that sort of prestige. And one of my mentors had said to us, you know, to get better as a coach, you have to work with better players. And coming to Canada to work with Christine was probably the biggest coaching challenge of my life because here I was, Arriving to this this team that was ranked ten in the world, I hadn't won a trophy with New Zealand. I mean, we, you know, punched above our weight a little bit, and never worked with someone of that that caliber. And I, I just remember having that sort of imposter syndrome flying in and thinking, 
I'm going to be training Christine Sinclair tomorrow. <laughs> like, what's she going to think? <laughs> you know, this little hobbit from New Zealand, you know, who's never won anything. So I was pretty nervous, but, you know, we, we hit it off. We, we, we sort of understood each other. It, it, it became a, a really productive relationship. She, she helped me develop as a coach, and I'd like to think I helped her develop as a leader. What was it that stood out about her game specifically when when you first watched her? Was it her technical ability? Was it her work ethic, um, vision? Tell us what you saw immediately when you first saw her play. I, I, I just keep saying Rolls Royce. <laughs> oh, man, like, just class. Just class, like... You, you think of a Rolls Royce and the luxury vehicle that just glides and everything's being hand-stitched and produced <laughs> to almost perfection as a vehicle. Like, that's that's what she was as a football player. Like, she glided on the field. She She never really looked like she was ever having a, a tough day at the office. And surprisingly, you know, she just had this power under the hood, this acceleration that, you know, I've never driven a Rolls Royce, but you know, they go not to 60 as quick as most cars. So she just had that class and that class was off the pitch as well. You know, whatever room she, she walked into, she had a, a presence like a, almost a humility, but a, a competitive presence that, you know, the Alphas just walked into the room here um, and not because of what she was saying or what she was doing, what she'd achieved, what she'd achieved as, a, as an individual on a football pitch consistently. So that, that would be my best analogy, uh, metaphor I could use, just an absolute Rolls Royce to work with. So as a coach, and you've kind of already suggested this, you were like, okay, there's going to be a lot of pressure on me now. What did you work on with her like she when you when you saw her she's she's a Rolls Royce so how do you improve on a Rolls Royce I think with anything it's it's creating the the right environment for for that player to perform it, it's creating putting the right mechanics around her so she was working with top level people I recognized there was a mental component to what Christine was was having to carry as as the leader of our country, as well as that player that had the expectation of a team every time she played to to score, so immediately we were able to, you know, put uh, the All Blacks uh, mental performance coach around her, which was Dr. Kerry Evans. Uh, you know, I thought that was a, an important step to show her that we were willing to to bring, you know, that that real high level support, uh, people best in class at what they do in the area that she she could go in. And I felt it was a, it was a big part of, you know, her ability to understand one, that that expectation's normal, two, that she didn't have to carry a burden. It was more about developing her as a leader to bring more out of our teammates and using that leadership influence that she had 
And not many people get that level of leadership influence because they haven't achieved consistently what she had achieved, but she had that influence and probably didn't understand the tools that she could use to bring her leadership to that next level, to bring more out of the people around her, which would ultimately bring more out of her and the team. So there were two key areas I got to work in pretty quickly. And and then it was just evolving her tactically, you know, finding positions on the field in the diamond where we played with a, a diamond for a period of time or a Christmas tree shape where she wasn't the focal point and teams would find it more difficult to take Christine out of the game and mm-hmm. stop Canada. So they were the, they were the areas we, we went towards, but I brought in that clarity. I let her know that these were the areas we were going to work on where we could bring medals to this country and, and finally get her winning uh, in that red jersey. How was she when there was a team setback? Like, how did she react to that? Because as much success as the Canadian women's team has had um, along the way, there have been some painful losses as well. Yeah, I think the the, the 2012 was was the moment that really uh, set her up as a leader. She, um, you know, to score a hat-trick at Old Trafford to, to lead the USA three times in a match, and I don't think Canada had led USA in previous high-level competitions, to come out of that game with a with a loss. And I think anyone that remembers that game, mm-hmm. it was heavily influenced by the referee. And I know Christine had made comments and all the other bits that went with it. But I remember being in the hallway outside the dressing room at Old Trafford, and I was speaking with, with Dr. Evans about you know, how I was going to address the team because we felt something had to be said in the dressing room. It had to be it had to be dealt with there because we still had a medal to play for. But the, you know, the little uh, <laughs> Irish equipment manager came out, may have glass, and uh, she just said, gents, uh, you don't even need to go in there. Christine's just said it all. And, and for us, that was the moment. You know, we, we was hoping a leader like her would step forward and take, and she did. You know, no matter how much pain she was in, emotionally, mentally, that the gold medal had just evaporated. She had the ability to use our influence, and players still to this day will say what she said in that dressing room will remain private, but it just cleared the air very quickly and got them into a performance state ready to medal against France. And I think that's it. Cometh the hour, cometh the woman. I mean, that was, for me, her her starting point on the leadership journey. But for those that know, she'd done a few things that were outside of her comfort zone prior to that Olympics that we just probed and pushed her to do things outside of our comfort zone that I think set her up for that moment. And, yeah, that medal, I don't think, would have came without... The words of Christine uh, in that in that locker room in, in such a poignant moment. What are you hoping to see in these two matches, uh, first in Langford and then at BC Place, and what could be a very large crowd at BC Place? I just think energy and excitement. I mean, this is um, this is for Christine and 
I think for the the fans, what I hear about the ticket sales, you know, they're coming to to send her off. I mean, she's BC's for me greatest athlete that that this part of the the country's ever produced. She's she's globally going to be a legend in the women's game for for many moons to come because of the record she set. So I just hope that people, you know, enjoy the moment and celebrate it. Celebrate the moment, you know. Make sure you've got a nice chant for Christine because that's something I've never heard a Christine Sinclair chant like you'd hear in the, in the European sort of environment. So it'll be, it's time to send her off the right way. So, you know, regardless of the result, obviously we'd love to see Canada win. This isn't about that. Mm-hmm. This is about uh, that woman and recognition to a legend leaving the game. How's life for you, John, these days? Oh, I'm loving life. Loving life. Um, yeah. On the grass every day with players, working with some great players um, and an organization that, you know, really wants to, to be a championship team. So uh, loving life. Do you feel rejuvenated or did you need to be rejuvenated in terms of y- your energy and your excitement for the job? Absolutely. Absolutely. You only had to see my last few press conferences with candidates and all that. <laughs> you know, that's not, that, that's not who I am. It's not what, what I stand for either. It's just enough was enough. And I'm in a great, a great space. I brought six of the staff with us who were ready to be rejuvenated and we're ready for a big mountain to climb against uh, against the uh, the odds next season I guess with TFC but um, you know these are the sort of missions we we tend to get involved with so yeah fresh ready and uh, excited well, John, we both want to thank you for taking the time to do this today. We really appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with the upcoming season with TFC and enjoy uh, watching the final two matches for Christine Sinclair in the Canadian Women's National Team jersey. Thanks, team. All the best. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. John Herdman, so former Canadian. A live broadcast. That was a live interview. I, I was, I, so I, was, I had a moment of abject panic. When he was like, "Is that the question you're going to ask?" But he, yeah, but he was. Like, then I, I was realized like, this isn't a good one. I'm going to try it again and make it good. What's the opposite of a great question? <laughs> yeah. That's what that was. Because sometimes, like, just you know, if you're if you're doing a recorded podcast, which maybe John thought he was on. No, no. Like, he, okay, he, you want was, me to start there? I mean, so it was, it was a live the important live radio show, which he's well aware of. So the, impor- the important thing is, it wasn't my question. The problem that's really the important thing. Well, it was kind of the question too. It was a good. It was a good, good, good question. Um, anyway, it was a bit long winded. It was. It had a lot of detail to it. Maybe a little bit too much color. John, let me take you back to my childhood. <laughs> the year was nineteen tickety seven. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.